This is Ed Helms. You're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, episode 79, Mafia. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling. That's what she said. (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy. Rolled around town like a hero. I got you on my mind. Just like all the time. Pedal down, nowhere to go. And welcome to episode 79 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I am your capo di tutti capi, Matt Summer. And this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the sixth episode of season six, entitled Mafia, which originally aired Thursday, October 15th, 2009. Forget about it! With Pam and Jim gone to Puerto Rico on their honeymoon, the Coalition for Reason finds itself a few bricks short of a full load. When Michael's propositioned by the Cosa Nostra, or maybe Mutual of Harrisburg, whichever, he turns to his soldati, Dwight and Andy, for backup. Capitulate? Fight back? What's a coward to do? Meanwhile, Kevin squats in Jim's office, and Stanley and Meredith confront Aaron about her beef with Pam. Don't even get me started on the painting incident. If she ain't careful, this new cafon receptionist is going to be fitted for a pair of concrete overshoes. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? Uh, Kevin, my boy, welcome to another episode of That's What She Said. Uh, my trusted consigliere. How are you doing this day, Kevin? <laughs> well, Matt, it's uh, great to be here. Hey, and, it's uh, Don, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, turn off that Godfather music, man. All right, all right. here we it, go. It doesn't sound very good. All right. Well, because I have I have I have my own Godfather music. Ah, <laughs> uh, two minds, Kevin. <laughs> I was gonna say two great minds, but you know, I, I'll settle for two minds. Think alike. So here well, we are. You know, it, it is there's not uh, there's no accident that tonight we actually I think are celebrating a milestone for that's what she said because we finally have the philosophy that we have been. Perhaps misunderstood by some listeners. We are indeed the coalition for a reason here. That's what she said, and I think that's the way we've approached the show. But um, just got to tell you, I want to prepare you. I might be a little tired because I've had a long day at the podcast store. Well, you <laughs> know, <quote> Andy Bernard. <laughs> you know how that goes, Kevin. We uh, we we did have a problem earlier. We were trying to record this. We blew out one of our spark tubes. So, um, you know, my guy can fix it, but uh, what are you going to do? Anyway, well, here we are, Mafia. We are coming down from the highlights, the big one-hour spectacular that was Niagara. Traditionally, in the past seasons, after these kind of bigger episodes, we do tend to generally get one of these sort of what I call filler episodes every once in a while. And there's always a few in every season. So this is, to me, really the epitome of a filler episode. Um, 
some kind of nonsense and some good jokes, uh, you know, a lot of kind of goofy stuff, a few different plot lines. And speaking of plot lines, one of the things I want to bring up, Kevin, is because in the in the promo material, all mm-hmm. week we've been talking about how oh Aaron does something to Pam's painting. You know, it's funny when I was watching that on Thursday, I think I must have missed that. I think maybe I went to the bathroom or something. Uh, yeah, in the corner of one of the shots, you could see that the painting had been switched. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. This seems very very strange that this was an actual plot line that was part of the promotional material and then was left on the cutting room floor? I don't understand. This Aaron thing was, was very big. It was like three or four minutes worth of deleted scene material. It helped to define her character on the show. Mm-hmm. It, it helped to bring in a lot of complexities as far as is she living up to Pam's role as the receptionist? What do the other people in the office think about her? All that kind of stuff that I think was great character building material. Unfortunately, not one millisecond of it made it to air. So I think that was quite a shame. Now, I guess we could argue, well, what should have been cut instead? The other minor plot line, really the only other minor plot line this episode, was the Kevin stuff. So should that have been sacrificed to make room for the Aaron plot line, or was that worthy of inclusion? Well, the thing about that Kevin plot line is that if Pam and Jim don't get their credit cards canceled, then their general unhappiness with all the phone calls becomes a lot less sympathetic. So from that perspective, they really needed to keep that in there, and then you have to explain why Kevin's in the office to begin with. But I tell you, that Aaron stuff was not only great character-building material and a character we haven't seen before. This isn't the same old Kevin-retarded stuff. This is something new on a character we don't know much about. Mm -hmm. So... I was really looking forward to that. And also, by the way, that material was funnier than most of the stuff in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And so maybe they could have cut a little bit of Kevin and a little bit of some back and forth with the mobster, and maybe they could have shoehorned this in. You know, as much as that cold open was fairly funny, fairly funny, uh, (laughs) you know, if they could have put in that opening scene with Aaron talking in the break room to Meredith, Maybe that could have been the cold open. I don't know. Well, the cold open stuff, I will say as far as, you know, should that have been replaced, I'm not sure. I I actually kind of enjoyed it because it was sort of a very calm, kind of typical office sort of moment, which when you have mobsters and Kleenex box shoes and other things, it's kind of nice (laughs) to go back to a little kind of normal thing. And it felt very much like, almost like that it should have been Jim or something saying that to Michael instead of Ryan there, but... Be that as it may, you know, it got Michael thinking. Of course, the thing about that is that Michael does have a lot of knowledge about sales and how to pass that on. But, of course, only he could imagine that he'd walk off and dictate himself up some masterpiece. You know, what do you say, a billion sold, more than the Bible? Uh, right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a nice little character piece. And it was kind of, a, like I said, a, a pretty traditional sort of office bit. So, I, you know, I liked it. Um, but yeah, I, for all the things that you said before, it does. You know, I really do wish that Aaron stuff would have gotten in there because she still she remains. She's so. I mean, here's a character that we've seen now in six episodes this season, um, handful of episodes last season, and here was her chance to actually get us to know about this character and care about this character. And it seems kind of a shame that we, she hasn't gotten her moment in the sun. And maybe the other stuff would have been worth sacrificing. You know, to make us care about this character, because, you know, we talked last week about her being this sort of naive, kind of sort of clueless person. And 
that you know that's kind of really what you got in this. She's like the you know the t- 2009 version of Roy Rogers. Uh, I never what did you say I never met anyone I I didn't like or something right. like that. So she's sort of this really good natured, really warm hearted person who gets crapped on in this episode by Meredith and Stanley, and then by yeah, well I guess Pam reams are out, but. That was sort of building up for the rest of the episode. But, well, and Kelly, too, with the necklace. Oh, exactly. And then <laughs> flipping out and taking it anyway. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Well, especially since in this case, a lot of the, the effectiveness of these scenes with Aaron rely on the fact that Pam isn't around. And so this is really the week it's got to happen because Pam's back next week. So it's really too bad this wasn't in here. But the other weird thing about this plot line, there was it a little bit here and a little bit in the Kevin and Oscar plot line was all, all these people talking such nice things about Pam. We, oh, you're never going to be as well-liked as Pam. <laughs> I don't know. Have you been watching a different show or something? But <laughs> yeah, I haven't if... seen Pam gotten, you know, the love from the office very often. And, you know, Oh, well, we could never call Jim because he really knows. Well, thanks, Oscar, for that support a couple weeks ago when Jim tried to make a management decision. You were the one leading the charge, and I know it was his <laughs> raise and all that, but he went a little off the reservation there a little bit in that scene and, you know, didn't do Jim any favors. So well. <laughs> maybe you got to keep your friends close instead of, you know, pushing them away. Well, I suppose, actually, I don't have too much of a problem with that because even if it's somebody that you don't necessarily like, you're used to them. And then when someone new comes in, you kind of get the old, oh, the old person was great, the old person was better kind of thing. So I guess that kind of fits into a certain extent. But we'll get into that plot line in a second. Let's not dominate our conversation with the deleted scene plot line that nobody has actually seen on the air. Let's go ahead and get back into the other stuff, though. Let's talk about this. So uh, at first, one of the things I think, you know, as I said, watching this on Thursday... It just struck me as sort of a consummate filler episode, you know, C, average kind of thing for me. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. really kind of hated it. I didn't have that kind of a strong reaction. It was just one of those kind of meh sort of episodes. Exactly. Um, the thing is, though, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on under the surface that I don't necessarily know if it was as, as clear as I would have liked it or if it was spelled out as much as I would have liked it. Because in this episode, we get kind of an interesting dynamic that's set up here. And what Oscar says about the Coalition of Reason and all that kind of stuff is basically we have Oscar, apparently, and Jim and Pam are seen as the only people that have any kind of (laughs) common sense or something in the office, and everyone else is insane. And it was kind of funny in this episode because at the beginning, Michael is really, he is really, he's sort of the voice of reason. And that's kind of a weird thing. I don't know if we've ever seen that before, but he actually has to be convinced into acting crazy by Dwight and Andy. You know, at first, yes. he just didn't even occur to him. Nothing going on. You know, was, oh, he's just a bad salesman. He's just some, you know, some schmuck. And uh, and then he kept wanting to do the right thing. And then the whole time, he's kind of like, oh, are you sure we should do this? And and uh, he tries to he tries to stop Andy from going out and helping the woman because he knows he's an you know he's an idiot and he can't do anything. And I mean, he, it's kind of weird, isn't that sort of strange? Or what did you think of that? Well, indeed, and even the cold open with Meredith, where he realizes that she's an idiot and all that, and. He takes it upon himself to call Ryan a little bit on his shot with the book there. So I agree. I think that the, the interesting thing about this episode to me was not so much that the plot, uh, that the concept was bad, uh, obviously ridiculous in a certain sense, but I think that the, the issue with this episode is that the execution just felt a little flat. The scenes, the laughs were chuckles, not laugh out loud moments. So yeah, like you're saying, you know, they can't, they can't all be a plus funny episodes and like you were saying I think what we're trying to do is uh, 
hold on to those parts that were either new or unique and whatever, and we'll talk about the mob plot line here in a little bit. I think that's why I'm focusing so much on this Aaron stuff, because even if it had been sort of this average uh, C-plus type of episode, at least we could have gotten something new to sink our teeth into, Right. and we didn't really because that sort of fell on the floor. And also... Because it introduced a dynamic with Pam, I think, that was very interesting because obviously Pam's going to come back to a whole world of hate with the whole situation with her mom and Michael and now this presumably adversarial relationship with Aaron in some fashion or maybe she pulls her under her wing and actually gives her those lessons that Aaron is actually reaching out for. So we'll we'll have to see. (laughs) Well, you know, that's the thing uh, also about that is, like I said, there's there's a lot of little hints kind of under the surface that, that stuff with Michael being sort of not the dumb guy is kind of an interesting little twist. Then, like you said, the thing with, with Pam and Aaron there, it seems like there could be something that could be explored with that. Like I said, you know, it, that'd be a nice angle to see how does she react with being the new person in the office. I don't think we've gotten a whole lot of that. And no. it's been so long that she's been here almost that it's, it's almost to the point where you can't really even go back to it anymore. You know, I think that was a good scene there with Meredith and Stanley showing that stuff. The other things with Dwight and Andy, I, you know, it, I, I guess it's good. I'm glad to see them paired up because we've always mm-hmm. enjoyed their, their teamwork in the past. However, yeah, I mean, there were some things, obviously, some, some interesting and some really kind of ridiculous stuff in here. I'm not really still sure what I think of Pat, the whole Pat the mechanic thing and his <laughs> bringing the tire, you know, the whole costume just so he could bring a tire iron into the restaurant. Um, and uh, and just the, the lengths that they took it. I mean, it was kind of funny. They had this sort of Oscar, you know, Oscar Madison, Felix Unger sort of thing going on there with Andy, the one devil on the shoulder saying, oh, you know, give in, do what he wants, don't ruffle anything, right. don't ruffle his feathers, and and Dwight on the other shoulder telling him the exact opposite. So some funny business with that going on. You know, I, I hate to say this because I always get accused, Kevin. I've gotten several emails criticizing me for being a gym hater, and we've talked about how uh, these last couple of weeks that Pam, especially in Niagara at the beginning, is not sympathetic to most of the audience, or at least not sympathetic to me. Uh, I didn't yeah. feel sorry for her last week when she was yelling at people about their soap choice. And <laughs> in this episode, I, I know that they're on their honeymoon. I mean, I know this. You don't have to know. No, have to are you kidding me? me? You are not going to go there. Well, let Tell me, me so you're me, not going to go there. Let me finish. I know that they're on their honeymoon. Okay, I know that. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I realize that. But just, I mean, the way that it was handled, I just... You felt bad. I felt bad for Oscar. Didn't you feel bad for Oscar? He just wanted some advice. Like, what do you do to get out of this? Michael, Michael's call was truly a pathetic, please help me, please help me kind of call. This wasn't him just sort of calling to say, hey, how's it going? You know, like uh, last year when he would call Pam at the corporate office uh, of Dunder Mifflin and just harass her for, you know, hours or whatever at a time. He he was really needing help, and I, I felt a little bad. You are kidding me. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just, I can't disagree more fully on this one. I, you know, it's not a life or death, and, and especially, I think, you could maybe make an argument about the scene with Oscar, because that was the first one, but as the episode progressed, and the calls got all the more ridiculous, I think that I just didn't feel any sympathy for the guys in the office. I mean, they're on the honeymoon, 
all you know, the whole point about being a honeymoon is you're away and you're together. You're not getting pestered by stupid, mundane trivia from people in the office. Well, why did they um, answer although, the phone? Although, <laughs> well, although I have to say, I did really like how they incorporated Jim and Pam in this episode. I think that the scene, especially with Jim and Michael, where he was cutting out on the reception and all that was hilarious. That was, like to me, the funniest part in the whole episode. I liked how they used them here, although, but if you're going to say, oh, well, that bitch Pam, she hung up on Aaron or whatever, it's like, I don't I don't buy that. I think that that's not unreasonable. Well, it, I guess the thing is, I, I didn't really, I didn't like the phone-only inclusion. You I would have rather had none? I wish we could have, well... We could explore it two different ways. We could explore it that way without them being there at all or um, have some shots of them. And maybe they just, you know, you'd say, well, they refuse. They wouldn't want the camera person on their honeymoon. And it's, I guess it's a fair enough kind of thing. But it just felt a little dry, I guess. You didn't see their side of it as much as I would have liked to. I, that's what I'm saying, man. I know. I, I Rationally in my brain, I know what you're saying about that. I know that it's somebody's honeymoon and they don't want to get calls from people at work. They're, they have every right to be upset, um, especially with Michael's little thing where he, he got the phone number by saying that his father or whatever had a coronary. And especially after their credit cards get canceled for no apparent reason. And and you know that what happened was, right, they tried to use the credit card. It got canceled. They called. They said, well, but Mr. Halpert, we could talk to you at your office. And then he <laughs> knows that some idiot in the office canceled his credit cards. Well, if we would have seen some more callback to that, I don't think that they – they didn't mention it. They didn't bring it up. And that, that last 30-second scene with Kevin at the very end, I didn't think really added very much to that plot line. It would have been nice to see maybe a little more something. I don't know what. But it just it, it kind of left me feeling sort of like, oh, that's that's it. Yeah. But that was okay. But I'll, I'll give you that, the, the little Jim thing on the phone. That was a pretty good bit. I don't know. What, I mean, what did you think about this whole mafia plot line thing? I mean, was this, was this handled in a believable fashion uh was the guy just way too ridiculously aggressive and and too much of a mobster no I, you know i think it 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 the jokes didn't hit home runs but i think that they hit a lot of singles with that stuff and i think that as much as it sounds ridiculous on paper dwight and andy think that a guy's a mafia guy well <laughs> you know what if this guy walked into my office and started coming at me with the hard sell on the insurance you know, I might th- put two and two together on and uh, start using some of Dwight's clues there. So well, his little... <laughs> it's, not, it's not so completely unbelievable, especially in the East Coast, where maybe that Italian influence is a little bit greater than, you know, the parts of the country where you and I live in. Let's well, just put it that way. I guess. But, you know, the, the thing about that was kind of kind of funny to me that it, it, seemed, it was a little ridiculous, some of the things, like where he knocks over the coat rack. It's like, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> things happen, people. <laughs> And I guess maybe that was just him being an idiot and, and just trying to recover from doing something stupid and, and make the sale. But I, I think the biggest thing about that that I thought was kind of strange is that this, the actor that they cast in this role, this guy Mike Starr, is, he's been in just dozens and dozens and dozens of TV shows and other things. And he is just he's a very recognizable face, even though he's a B player and a bit player. And just recently, within a month or so, Miller had all these ads with these two mafia guys going around and kind of threatening stock boys, you know, to stock their their beer or whatever to give them protection. And so he was in those, and it, it was almost like, oh, this guy again. I, I always like it when they cast the unknown guys, I guess. But still, that didn't didn't totally bother me all that much. 
Yeah, like you said, it was okay. It was interesting. You know, it, it was kind of weird because we sort of played up a little bit on the mafia stuff in previous seasons. You remember the five families mm-hmm. plot line? So it was sort of maybe similar ground. But, you know, Kevin, one of the things I discovered in my research here for this episode, though, is um, did you know that the uh, the mafia that was located in the Providence, Rhode Island area was uh, the, the members were referred to as being members of the office? Interesting. That's a very good piece of trivia. <laughs> so I think maybe that's where Brett Forrester came up with this idea. I don't know. It's kind of, uh, if, if he did, hey, he's a genius. If he didn't, I guess it's just a, <laughs> a lucky coincidence, but <laughs> Indeed. a nice little bit of business there. Um, you know, I want to go back to just a little bit more on that Aaron stuff that I love business school so much. I love that episode, and I was I was really sad to see how this thing was destroyed. I don't know about you. I mean, what did you feel about that? It was, and that's the thing that I just, I loved the scene where she's spray painting the thing and Creed comes up and distracts her and you think, wait, wait, what's going to happen? And then the effect of the painting getting ruined was just, it was, you couldn't look away. It was like an accident. Right. It it was horrible. And it was right there in the front of... (laughs) I couldn't look away. Um, And so it, it was very exciting, that scene to me. Yeah, it was it was shot really well. Like you said, the painting was framed in the middle of the screen and Creed on one side, Aaron on the other, and you could see the water just slowly seep down and, and ruin the watercolors in there, and that was a great shot. And the thing, I guess, uh, again, another little bit of connection here, I guess, Brent Forster is the guy who wrote Business School, so maybe he felt he had the right to destroy the painting here in this there episode. You go. Again, so a Good few idea. connections there, but... Um, uh, let's go ahead and talk about a few other things in here, though, that we got to mention, I think, before it starts. Now, I didn't know this, Kevin. We talked last week about how I didn't know about the wedding video. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand. Michael has this big speech in the restaurant this week where he asks for something. He wants to sound cool. And that's sort of another plot line that's kind of interesting that I don't think gets explored too much is where Michael actually sort of kind of seems to admire this guy at least admire his balls to a certain degree because he starts mm-hmm. to kind of imitate him. You know, and it's, at first he says he just kind of dismisses him as being a bad salesman. And and he's a good salesman, so he's kind of, you know, oh, this guy sucks. But then when they're at the restaurant and things, he kind of just starts to imitate his ways and you know, he wants to be cool, so, you know, the guy orders the linguine with the red sauce on the side. We get in all that business about, you know, if it's not on the side, I'm going to send it back. And if my toast is burnt, <laughs> I'm going to send it back. And all that kind of stuff. And so... You know, Michael wants to sound cool when the, when the waitress asks him what he wants. He says he wants some gabagool, you know, give me some gabagool. And I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about, gabagool? <laughs> is he just making up words? Like, you know, there's an episode, I know you don't watch this, but there's an episode of The Family Guy where Peter grows a mustache, and so then he just assumes that he can speak Italian. And he goes into an Italian <laughs> deli, and he starts going, you know, eh, bibbidi bobbidi bibbidi boobidi boobidi stuff like that. And it's like, I thought that's what he was doing here. I was like, what on earth is he doing? Of course, more savvy viewers than myself apparently would have known this, and I just found this out today looking this up, that gabagool is a slang word for capicola, which is a thinly sliced Italian luncheon meat taken from the shoulder and the neck of the pig. And apparently, as you informed me, it was referenced many, many times on The Sopranos and apparently in The Godfather as well. So that if I would have known that or gotten that reference, I think I would have enjoyed that scene 
quite a bit more. Yeah, and there were some other Godfather references with the horse's head and all that, too. So <laughs> I think that's a f more famous scene that most people know about, even if they haven't seen the movie. But, yeah, I think there were a lot of little subtle mafia references here that maybe not everyone got, but yeah, such as it is. Um, <laughs> one last point here on the, the mafia thing. So he's an insurance salesman. Do you understand what kind of insurance he's selling? Because that was the thing that I didn't. I, it was like it was sort of sounded like it was for business. Yeah. Which didn't make any sense because Michael wouldn't be the guy to purchase it. But then it also sounded very for for it was his personal choice that he was gonna have to pay for. Right. But then he kept making all these references about the warehouse burning down. If I'm Michael and the warehouse burns down, who cares? Yeah. Well, Kevin, this, you remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, getting Zen. <laughs> About yes, some okay. of these things, I know I, I, I exactly understand what you're talking about. It's it makes no sense because obviously Dunder Mifflin would be the one paying for any insurance on their corporate properties, and uh, you know it, it would not be a, something that would be left to the manager at the individual branch. And yes, you're right, and maybe that's the part of it. Maybe maybe this you know this is a guy who represents whatever kind of insurance, and so he couldn't get Michael to commit to the to the uh, the business insurance, and then he started working them on the personal mm. or something, because, I don't know, Dwight was talking about dental and some other things, and he had a bunch of, bunch of brochures, and yeah, you're right, he, <laughs> he has that line where he bought a, he buys a policy, so it's only the cup, cost of a cup of coffee an hour. <laughs> right, did you, did you do the math on that? It's $26,000 a year. Oh, good gracious. <laughs> so, yeah, um, obviously Michael uh, gets himself in a little bit over his head. But, like I said, uh, one of those things I think we have to just agree to not think about. All right, as I mentioned a couple of times already, this episode was written by Brent Forrester, who's written seven episodes, including Mafia, Blood Drive, Business Trip, Did I Stutter, Product Recall. Uh, the episode is directed by Dave Rogers, who is a newbie, basically, on this. He's, this is only his second episode that he's ever directed uh, after employee transfer. However, he has worked in an editing capacity on at least 40-plus episodes. So he's been around the block a few times. I don't know, anything that you noticed or liked or disliked about the direction in this episode? Um, well, I think, based on our feedback so far, I think Dave should stick to the editing booth. So he put the good stuff from the episode in the episode, not <laughs> on the cutting room floor. Right, let's go ahead and get into the Michael plotline here, Kevin. I broke this down basically into three different plotlines, and including the Aaron stuff as its own separate plotline rather than consider them to be deleted scenes because they do feel so complete. Uh, and I think that they are very integral, I think, to the full enjoyment of this episode as it is. Uh, but let's go ahead and start with the Michael plotline here. Um, you know, basically starts the day off. Aaron is waiting for Michael as he comes in with a guest who is waiting to speak to him. Um, there's a little bit of business in there about how Michael has nothing to do and he's got his unscheduled <laughs> whatever fun time. I'll bump my free time till tomorrow. <laughs> you right. know, and all this all this kind of stuff. And so he goes in and uh, shows Mr. Grotti just how the sausage is made. Um, and Michael is none too impressed by his spiel. There is nothing more insulting to a great salesman than having to listen to a bad salesman. It's like a great basketball player having to listen to a bad basketball player. What do you think? I think you're right. Definitely looks suspicious. And his southern Italian heritage raises some flags. 
You will be hearing from me, Mrs. Scott. Okay, well. I can be very, very persistent. Do your worst. <laughs> what happened in there? Nothing, other than, once again, I am just thankful that I am a paper salesman. Did he threaten you? No, Dwight, not everything is a threat. Monsters are. There is no such thing as monsters. He drives an SUV. No, it's more trunk space. Or should I say corpse space? Okay, guys, I drive an SUV. Does that mean I'm in the mob? No, not that by itself. But look at all the facts. He seems like a mobster. Oh, Dwight, where is your reasoning? Where is your, you know, sheriff analytical skills? He seems like a mobster. Uh, don't give in to stereotypes, Dwight. Well, he's able to spot that southern Italian heritage a mile away. So, <laughs> Well, he's seen those Miller Lite commercials. He knows. Indeed. I, 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 I just like some of Rain Wilson's line delivery in this scene <laughs> in particular. And uh, so, you know, okay, we get this plot going here. We see that Oscar is going to be trying to be the voice of reason. We'll yep. see how well he is able to succeed. You know, and that's kind of interesting, again, because I don't think that we've really seen him... I mean, he's never been really crazy or anything, but he so he, does, he does come up he does come on his high horse from time to time. Yeah, so he's never sure. been really sort of this guy that's the sane one, but it's kind of fun, I guess, to see him in that role and try to argue the normal point of view <laughs> for a change here. Um, yeah, as you said, I heard you chuckle in there with that line about uh, "there's no such thing as monsters." <laughs> So it's kind of a good little bit there. Michael is just so not understanding what they're talking about, totally not thinking anything. He's just being normal, and he had the guy leave, and he's like, okay, I'm not doing business with you. And here's where all the craziness begins. Andy, Dwight, work him over, and uh, I'll just, well, I'll let Oscar explain why Michael is so vulnerable this week. Pam and Jim are on their honeymoon, so there's not the usual balance between Sane and others. Toby has mentally checked out since June. It's a very dangerous time. The coalition for reason is extremely weak. Oscar says I checked out, huh? Hmm. Ryan, you live in New York. What do you think? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as the mafia. Okay. What you have are specific families. Mm -hmm. What's the guy's last name? It is Grotti. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Is... What? What? John Gotti, you idiot. It's... It's a completely different name. So he won't get caught? Yeah. Pretty close. What are you talking about? What mobster would change his name from Gotti to Grotti? It weakens it. No, I disagree. R is among the most menacing of sounds. That's why they call it murder and not muckduck. Jim, it's Oscar. I'm so sorry to be calling you on your honeymoon. Oscar, uh, what is going on? It's Michael. He thinks he's being shaken down by the mob. I don't know how you usually handle this. We're in Puerto Rico, so... Hey, Oscar. It's Pam. Hey. hey, we're on our honeymoon. Pam, I'm sorry. Unless someone very close to us is in immediate physical danger, you should not be calling us. You're right. You're right. All right. Oh, okay. Bye. Man, see, all those hang-ups there, I just feel a little sad. Oscar's just trying to find some help dealing with this crazy world. Be that as it may, I won't hold it against them any longer. I like that stuff in there, though. Like you said, that Coalition of Reason stuff, some great lines. I don't know. What did you think about that whole muck duck thing? It was kind of funny. I, the, the stuff with Ryan was was funny. Anytime you can put Ryan in this like pontificating role was great, and just all the way that everyone else kind of caved, like, oh yeah, that's definitely a connection. <laughs> Doesn't want to get and, caught, right? And did you notice there with Pam? Did she say Pam K like uh, Krasinski, not H for helper? That was weird. Where, I, no, I didn't even hear that. What? What was yeah. that again? She said, "This is Pam K." Like, you know, her new last name. 
But are you I sure know. she doesn't Maybe. mean like as in okay? Like this is Pam K. I don't know. If, if blisters have a theory on that, look. Well, yeah. I don't see why. Post why would somebody say this is Pam K? It doesn't make any because sense to me. She's thinking Krasinski instead of Halpert. No, but why would she say this is Pam H? What does that have to do with anything? She'd say this is Pam. Because she, she wants the people to know her new last name. Uh, I don't buy it. I'm, she's saying okay in a shorthand form. I don't know. Too many theories out there, Kevin. Well, speaking of crazy... <laughs> speaking of too many yeah. theories and too many words and too many sentences. Exactly. Speaking of crazy, they convince Michael so much that he finally breaks down and accepts the fact that this guy is uh, from the mob trying to do a shakedown. And, uh, well, he doesn't know what to do. So here come Andy on one shoulder, Dwight on the other shoulder. What are my options here? Do I just ignore it or... Yeah, right. You heard him. He's going to burn the warehouse down or run one of our trucks off the road. Okay, I'm calling the police. That is the stupidest thing you could do right now. He's right. Cops can't do anything until a crime has been reported. All right. Not only that, but if they find out you snitched, you get a dead horse's chopped off head in your bed. Shh. You know what? It's not going to happen. That's an exaggeration. What am I supposed to do here? When somebody threatens you, you give in right away. Okay, you need to buy insurance from this guy and get him off your back. I was thinking exactly the same. No. Criminals are like raccoons. Okay, you give them a taste of cat food, pretty soon they'll be back for the whole cat. Dwight, well, the only way to defeat a bully is to stand up to him. Trust me, I have bullied a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if I've ever seen Dwight as being a bully, but that was a pretty funny line, I have to say. Um, I know. I've stood up to a lot, I've bullied a lot of people. Um, you know, in this little clip there, I like that, like you said before, I like that, that kind of different dynamic where Andy's just this total pansy. <laughs> You know, the only way to solve this is to totally give in, totally do whatever right. he wants you to do. And Michael thinks that's a very reasonable theory, but uh, Dwight will have none of it. Yeah, and then I like how uh, Andy twists it around and says, you know what, I withdraw. I, th- I think that was a good way for him to approach the whole situation. The dynamic between Dwight and Andy here is pretty good. I like that uh, speech, and we didn't have it in the clip, but then Dwight kind of goes on, continues to impress upon him that, that they need to do something. That Michael must fight back, <laughs> and Andy, you know, Andy's like, no, nope, no, I withdraw my plan. No, we're gonna do this the hard way. And uh, Michael, right. of course, <laughs> is left. Michael, of course, is left in the middle to just uh, deal with this uh, <laughs> while they're just kind of pushing him forward. So uh, Michael sort of finally gives in here, and um, well, the next step is to meet with Mr. Grotti and try to get this whole thing sorted out. All right, I will meet with him, but I am not going alone. Well, we'll you're going right to have to. You. What? What are you wearing? Whose hat? If I'm going to back you up, I need a weapon without drawing suspicion. And I have to justify it somehow, so I'm a mechanic with a tire thing. You know how to use it? To change tires, no. But it's metal. I can hit somebody Let's with go. it. Come on. God. Hey, the bathroom checks out clean. Nothing behind the toilet except this roach motel. Oh! Ah, my God! I never kill it that way. Guys. You want to separate the head from the thorax. Guys, guys. Cool it. There he is, there he is. So, a couple of good things in there. I like that, like, again, with that bit at the very beginning of the clip where, <laughs> well, I'm not going alone. And then Dwight says, well, of course we'll come with you. And Andy says, well, yeah, you're going to have to go alone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then there's... Uh, Startled what there. And then the whole Pat the Mechanic thing. Now, we kind of talked about that. I don't know what I really think about that, actually. <laughs> it is a little over the top. I mean, 
following his logic, it makes perfect sense. Because mechanics always take a tire iron into a restaurant with them when they are having lunch, right? Exactly. But there was a there was a pretty funny sight gag where he says, "Put that away," and he tries to hide it under a napkin. So, well, yeah, and also he's like sniffing it too at the very beginning right. of that scene. And Michael is just—it's the thing, and that we don't see this very often, where Michael is seeming to be kind of the guy who's smarter than the other two. You know, he's looking at them, telling them that they're idiots and hide that thing and everything else. So he's kind of in a position of, uh, I don't know what it is, the man with one eye is like the king in the land of the blind. Is that how yeah. that goes? So, so let me ask you, what is more ridiculous? Dwight not knowing where the clitoris is or Andy not knowing how to use a tire iron to change a tire? <laughs> hey, he's a rich guy, you know. He, he he grew up. He doesn't mess with the spark tubes and the other stuff that's in there. He, got, he has a guy for that. <laughs> Man, there's nobody worse at home repairs or auto stuff than me, but I know how to change a tire and jumpstart a car for that matter. But well, anyway. You know, like I said, he's a, a man of privilege. Uh, he's never learned those skills. You remember from the I duel guess. last year. You remember when Dwight goes off on his big rant about all the manly things he knows how to do that, that Andy can't do is another further example there of why he's an inadequate man. And that will get him into some wacky hijinks in just a minute. Um, so as Michael left off there, you know, Dwight comes back, as you said, it's a, a Godfather reference, of course, the, the gun taped behind the toilet tank, right when Grady enters the restaurant. And here's what we were talking about before, where Michael all of a sudden sort of seems to kind of start to, I don't know, admire him or want to imitate him in his kind of gruff, take charge sorts of ways. So as they sit down there, Grady puts in his lunch order and uh, Michael follows suit. If you want to supplement your coverage, we can do that. If you want to replace your current coverage, all the better. Hey, you seem like a nice guy. Oh, he's not that nice. That's true. Mm. I'm very true. Okay, shut up. I can't. How are you excited? You know, I'll have the linguine, red sauce on the side. If the sauce does not come on the side, I will send it back. I want garlic bread, toasted, not burnt. If it comes burnt, I will send it back. Okay, then. And for you, sir? I will have the gabagool. So what? The gabagool. I, I don't really know what that is. You know, gabagool. I don't. I don't. I don't have to have what that. What he's trying to say is gabagool. Guys, guys. All right. I don't, I don't really to, think I don't, that we have that. That's okay. Bring in the gabagool. I will have the spaghetti with a side salad. Okay. If the salad is on top, I send it back. So the little, you know, the side salad, if it's on top, I'll send it. <laughs> it's totally nonsensical. Well, there's the thing, now, does Andy and do Andy and Dwight know what Gabagool is, or are they just repeating it? Of course it? they don't. Well, but that's the thing. If, if if Michael knows what it is from watching The Sopranos, and other people do, I, I uh, maybe they're just as clueless as me, I guess. Let me tell you, my friend, I I know I've heard Gabagool, but I couldn't have told you what it was. <laughs> I know it was some sort of food, so I'm sure Michael and Andy and Dwight, for that matter, are probably in the same boat. You know, just the way Dwight kept going on and on. He wants the Gabagool. <laughs> bring yeah. him the Gabagool. This is Michael, A. Bring him what he wants. <laughs> but I have to say that that, that scene, I, you know, I will send it back. That actually could go down as a pretty famous office line. So if you know, even though the rest of this episode is kind of blah, there's a couple kind of really funny parts, and that was that was the other one right there. Well, yeah, I think you're right. That's it's kind of a memorable little bit. If anything else sticks out from this episode, that will probably be the thing. There they are. You know, they're sitting there in the restaurant. Andy's wearing his stupid 
mechanic Pat outfit, and here's where we get into this total wackiness, and maybe this is something that could have been cut to make room for that Aaron stuff. I don't know. I guess your mileage may vary on, on how funny you think this scene is, but in the restaurant, a, a lady, a damsel in distress, as Grady says, comes up, seeing Andy in his overalls, and asks for a little bit of assistance. Excuse me. Are you a mechanic? Yeah. My battery's dead. I've got my kid. Can you please help? Yes, no, I no, can. No, no, Come on. I'm sorry. We're having our sound. Come on. Lady in distress, go! Go! Okay. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, do you need any help? I'm sure he can handle a simple jump start. Now, come on. Sit down. He's a good mechanic. Sit down. Black goes on. The red with the... It being a motor drive is probably down. Seems bad at this. You want to do this, Junior? I didn't think so. Sorry. Just had kind of a long day at the mechanic store. <laughs> you got a leaky uh, spark tube. What? So your car's totaled. Uh, she's going to want to get a refund on that. Or my guy could do it. He's great, but uh, I can't do that for you. I work exclusively on motorcycles. So I guess, I mean, there are some good laughs in that bit there, although it is pretty extraneous. Sure. And, and uh, there's a funny sight gag, too. He's got this mechanics uniform, but then he's got the Cornell hat on and, of course, the <laughs> loafers as well. Yeah, no, what do you think? Kind of not quite matching. I kind of read this before. I told you at the beginning of the show that I kind of read this as Michael didn't want him to leave because he knew he sucked at fixing things and then offered to go out and help, um, which struck me as a little strange because Michael never has been the biggest kind of mechanically inclined guy either. So I'm not sure. Maybe, I was, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was just saying that because he didn't want to be left uh, without one of his guys. I would chalk it up to Andy doesn't know a thing, and I'm going to not blow his cover. I think that was more it than the protection, because <laughs> honestly, if you want to choose between Andy and Dwight for protection, it's a pretty easy choice. Well, as long as Andy's not driving his Prius, I guess he's pretty, <laughs> he is pretty useless, so maybe you should have tried that again. <laughs> that worked pretty well the last time. So that doesn't work, of course. Everything's uh, – the lunch – goes away with Michael basically signing up for this big expensive insurance policy that he can't afford, you know, as we said earlier in this his line about the cup of coffee an hour and everything else and well when he gets back to the office he's really in a quandary and like I said, I understand that it's inappropriate but he he's just really desperate, really needs some help and uh is looking for the one man he thinks he can trust. Uh but fortunately that man is lost somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle. Hello? Jim? Michael? Oh, thank God. How did you get this number? Oh. Michael, we're on a catamaran. It wasn't easy. I had to tell the hotel <laughs> that it was a medical emergency. I chose a massive coronary because you told me that your dad had a bad heart. Listen, man, I, I got a problem. I think I'm in trouble with the mob or a major insurance carrier. That sounds bad. Yeah, I know. And you usually can get out of stuff like this, so I'm turning to you, my friend. I'm going to help you through it, all right? Okay. All you're going to need to... And then go to... Jim, are you... And you'll be saved. What? Wait, I didn't hear a thing you just said. Just... And then you'll be saved. No, God, I missed the, I missed the important part again. And, and, no. Oh, my God. And you'll be saved. No, Jim, please repeat what you're saying. I can't I, understand I, you. The Bermuda Triangle. I, my, please don't call again. 
<laughs> Jim? Oh, my God. Get a lot of dial tones in this episode. <laughs> Everybody getting hung up on. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty hilarious little bit of business there, i got to say. I, I, I wish I would have thought about doing something like that with the opening of the podcast, but alas, too late now. Well, of course, this uh, really does underscore the ridiculousness of the, all these calls down there. What what would Jim be thinking after the prank at the wedding? Oh, M- Jim, I need your help. A mob guy's after me. Okay, I've had enough of your damn pranks. Oh, so, come on. Again, Michael doesn't this is- prank. <laughs> He's too dumb to prank most of the time. Michael has never made, he never pretended to be somebody funny on the phone, well. pretended to be somebody else. Or pretend he's got some ridiculous thing. Oh, gotcha. He usually can't keep it straight, though, for more than a few seconds. He's desperately, you know, calling for help. I understand, and that's the thing. I think they really kind of skipped over on that as far as Jim's anger and being upset. That that line about how he told the hotel that it was a massive coronary. I know your dad had a bad heart, so I told him that on purpose. I mean, that's pretty pretty horrible, but it was just really skipped over in kind of a funny way that I don't think it really sinks in as far as, you know, how Jim should be upset by the whole thing. So, all right, I'll take it back, I guess, what I said before. But still, Michael is in bad straits. He has no one else to turn to in the office. Uh, well, except for the only remaining member of the Coalition of Reason, in fact. Um, when Jim fails, Michael goes to Oscar to see if there's any accounting tricks he might be able to do. Question for you. I recently purchased some insurance that I can't afford given my present salary. Is there anything accounting-wise I can do to sort of make it all go away? Accounting-wise, no, but phone-wise, just call up and cancel it. No, no. What about this cash for clunkers thing? Just, no, from the, no, okay. All right, well, there's a thought. Thanks. We have let Michael down, and it's 85% your fault. He's alive, so you're welcome. Not on the inside, he's not. Look at his life, broke. Living in fear. No friends. Dead-end job. Yeah, some of that existed before. Not the living in fear. That's new. He's going to stand up to this mafia guy. Well, I don't see that happening. I mean, either. Not the way things are now. But what if Michael felt no fear toward the mafia guy? Are you saying yeah. that we surgically remove the fear center from Michael's brain? What is wrong with you? I am talking about convincing Michael that the guy's not mafia. So it's kind of funny where you're getting this hierarchy of people calling each other idiots. You know, Michael's calling Dwight and Andy idiots, and then Dwight's calling Andy an idiot for that definitely idiotic plan there about surgically removing the fear center of Michael's brain. But, you know, that's the thing. Some funny stuff in there, you know, the cash for clunkers. Um, I guess we have a precedent kind of of Michael coming to Oscar for his money troubles. Yeah. Uh, So especially from money, of course, and a few other situations in the past, so that that fits in there. And it was a nice little bit of business, but of course he doesn't take his advice at all. And it's up to Dwight and Andy to do another wacky scheme to uh, to set Michael back where he's supposed to be. So they decide, hey, let's go in there and just pretend that uh, he's not really in the mafia. You know, we'll just sell it to him and make it think he's just some schmuck, which... You know, of course, ironically, that's exactly what he probably just is anyway, is the schmuck, and they built it all up 
And so now it's up to them to tear it all down. And so they go in there, convince him that Grotti is just a poser. He's not in the mafia. They make up all these little connections in law enforcement that they have. And I like that Dwight's little thing, you know, yeah, I called my cop buddies, and then they checked on Andy's cop buddy to make sure he wasn't on the take. <laughs> so this big, he's a really good guy, yeah. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. And, and so that whole big thing, and then Michael is pissed. He's upset that this guy tried to play him, and, well, he just does not like liars. If there is one thing I hate more than the mafia, it is a liar. I wish the mafia would go out and kill all the liars and bury them in my yard. And I wouldn't tell the cops a thing. Not that I would be lying per se, but I would just get really quiet all of a sudden. This is Karate. This is Scott. Oh, great, Michael. I'm just finishing up your paperwork right now. Oh, really? Is that supposed to scare me? I, I thought you'd be pleased. Well, you thought wrong. Because I am not pleased. I'm actually kind of PO'd. I think you knew exactly what you were doing, and frankly, I think you were being a total and utter jerk. Ooh. Okay. You suck. Okay, that's... And I'm not going to buy your stupid insurance. <laughs> that's good. That's How about that? Okay. The only uh, person that actually needs insurance is you if you show your face around here again. Got it? <sighs> oh, man. What a tool. You know, so Michael finds his balls there. He gets his... Uh, Gets his mojo back, tells this guy off, it's really to an inappropriate level. And that's kind of funny where, the, you know, Dwight and Andy, of course, they, they still really think that he is in the mafia. So when he starts going off on him, they're like, whoa, wait, no. Don't go too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I really liked the dynamic there with, with Andy and Dwight in these past couple scenes. They really work well off of each other, a good comedy team, I think. And like you were saying, the, the, the whole good cop, bad cop, or the angel and the devil, what have you, it's working really well with Michael. So maybe they can use this dynamic in future episodes and just give them, you know, punchier, funnier material. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, those seems very effective. And this next scene, I think, in particular, got, there's a nice little twist. <laughs> yeah, so let's, uh, you know, Michael stood up to the big bully, and uh, then Andy and Dwight are, you know, ready to crow, tell him what a great, brave guy he was. Next time you look in the mirror, you're going to be looking at a guy who stood down the mafia. No. What do you mean? We just told you he wasn't mafia, so you wouldn't be scared. I should be mad at you guys, but I am not. So I looked him in the eye, and I said, not today, Grotty, not today, and not tomorrow, and not the next day, or the day after that. And you can tell all your friends that if I see them, then they are already dead. I said something like that. Very close. Just to be clear, he backed out an insurance agent from Mutual of Harris. Aaron, yes. coffee. Okay. Not from the kitchen, stop and shop. If it's not stop and shop, I send it back. Okay. Large. If it's a medium, I send it back. If it's an extra large, I send it back. How, how do you return coffee? Go. Any questions? Funny little bit of business there. I guess you could ask this question, though. Is why does Michael not feel scared or pissed or upset when they tell him the truth? Wouldn't he be pissing his pants there, basically? You would think that, but maybe the idea is that because he stood up to the bully, he realizes the bully probably won't be coming after him or something like that. He's probably in denial a little bit, I guess, but, uh, you know, that's another one of those zen deals okay. here. 
But I do. I really love that reveal where they tell him that he's, you know, that oh, it really was a mob guy, and he puts his head down in his hand, and you think, oh no, he's going to start to panic, and he says, I should be mad at you guys, but I'm not. And I think that that was a great little twist. Well, and then he, of course, just retells and, and embellishes the story, and I like Dwight in there for once. You know, again, the way that Dwight plays. Half the time you'd think he might be contradicting him and saying, no, that's not what happened. But here right. he goes with it. You know, it's like, yeah, that was basically pretty much what happened. Right. Uh, of course, yeah, nothing at all like what happened. But there they give Michael, build him back up. He is the cock of the walk. And we get that little thing there with the, you know, Aaron, go get the coffee. If it's not stop and shop, I'm sending it back. So Michael stood up to the bully the uh, murderous uh, assassin bully <laughs> that could possibly break his legs and burn his house down. But regardless, whatever, he he finds his manhood, stands up to the mafia. And uh, that just leaves our two other plot lines here then. The Kevin plot line, as we mentioned earlier in our discussion, um, Kevin has been putting Jim's empty office to good use while Jim has been away. Jim's gone on his honeymoon, so I started borrowing his office to fart in. Then one day, I came in, and I just stayed, because this place is awesome. It feels like home now, even better than my home. My home sucks. Hello, Mr. Halpert. I'm calling from the identity theft department at Capital One. We've detected some unusual activity on your credit card. First, would you mind verifying your home address? Um, yes. Um, 383 Linden Ave, Scranton, PA. Well, Mr. Halpert, you're obviously not in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Wait a minute. Yes, I am. I'm going to go ahead and put a hold on your card. No, I think that we should let the criminal use the card a little longer. Very funny, sir. We'll get a new card out to you right away. No. Have a nice day, and thank you. (laughs) Shoot. Oh, Oh, retarded Kevin, (laughs) once again. Now, you remember last week I was complaining about puking in the cold open, Kevin, and I I postulated on what could possibly be next. Are we going to be having diarrhea scenes soon? Well, (laughs) here we go, farting jokes. So we're well on our way. (laughs) I think that's the next logical step. You had Mary the Sun pooping on the top of the toilet. (laughs) Exactly. There you go again. They're they're living up to my expectations. I gotta say, it's fantastic. Yeah, that uh, was a little we- that was a little weird. I go into his office to fart. I mean, I understand that, that someone could do that, but I just even for Kevin, that seemed like a weird thing to admit on the show. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, again, whatever those- happened? You remember when Kevin had a girlfriend <laughs> for a brief period last year? <laughs> whatever happened to Lynn anyway? Just. Uh, He's been acting too crazy. We need to get her back somehow. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, kind of hand it to those people at Capital One. They're right on the Johnny on the spot with the suspicious activity, calling Jim at his office. Uh, it was a little funny. I mean, I know, Jim, I know Kevin is a little slow, so the fact that he couldn't think too quickly is, I guess, not unreasonable. But even for Kevin, I think he kind of played that a little bit badly. Well, I think it, it, it kind of made sense to me because he – uh, wanted to be helpful. He was trying to be helpful to Jim, and so that's why he was like, oh, did it get stolen? And so he starts to, to help him and give all this information and doesn't really realize that 
you know, if he would have just said, I, wait, I'm not Mr. Halpert, I'm his, you know, workmate or something, that uh, maybe well, they could have exactly. avoided all of this. No, all he could, all he had to say was, you know what, Jim is on his honeymoon, that's why the thing is on there. Everyone knows what that means, suspicious activity, when you get the call, um, you know, when you're on vacation or whatever, right? But, I, I, well, but then again, Kevin doesn't really have an accounting background, does he? <laughs> well, wait, no, hey. <laughs> oh, in any case, well, so uh, he realizes that he totally screwed up, and this is another thing that would be kind of a major major inconvenience to, to Jim and Pam, of course, and mm -hmm. uh, it, would have been, it would have been interesting to see that maybe or, or kind of to get a little bit more from that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if you ever read the Consumerist blog, but there's always stories on there about people who are in foreign countries and their credit card uh, gets canceled by these helpful, you know, security people. So it's kind of an interesting plot line. I can definitely see that happening and how kind of screwed you would be there. Honeymoon, totally ruined, Kevin. Sad, sad story. Um, so that's the thing, then. Kevin goes to Oscar to try to explain what happened to him in here, although I admit that Kevin's acting more and more like Homer Simpson as we go along. Um, <laughs> I, I actually did enjoy this little bit of dialogue here in his, mm -hmm. in his stupid way. Why would you cancel Jim's credit cards? I usually can think quick on my feet, but they were so fast on the phone. This constitutes identity fraud. Oh, God. I wouldn't last in jail, Oscar. I'm not like you. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, you don't know about jail? Oh, you would love jail. <laughs> Why would I love jail? Because you would love it. <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty good line, I got to say. Well, the little look at the camera there, too. Like, he's very satisfied that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and that line was pretty funny, too. Knows all about the jail butt sex there. So, Oscar, don't you know about that? Oh, you don't know about jail? <laughs> uh, well, that, that's pretty much it for that plot. And there's a little tag at the end where he calls Pam, and Pam gets, you know, again, pissed off and complains uh -huh. about the card being canceled. And then Kevin basically chickens out and doesn't say anything. Just says, oh, tell Jim I said hi. <laughs> and then you see him kicking back with his feet up on Jim's desk, eating his M&Ms and talking about how he got away with it. So that's uh -huh. pretty much the end. I don't know. Did, did you feel like I did that that was an unsatisfying conclusion of that plot line? Or was that just perfectly fine with you? I felt unsatisfying until I saw the last clip here with Aaron, clip number two. And then I felt very unsatisfied. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of which, let's go ahead and get into that Aaron plotline here. As uh, as we mentioned, you know, she's a new person in the office. Uh, seems to have maybe connected with Kelly to a certain degree, although we see her being treated like crap by Kelly mm -hmm. in this. So, uh, you know, I feel got to you got to feel kind of sad for her, and then how she's treated here by the two office grumps, Stanley and Meredith. Brisket for breakfast. It's really on the brink of going rotten. You gotta wolf it down. Man, doesn't it seem like Jim and Pam have been gone forever? Who gives a crap? Oh, I'm just saying, it's great that she has so much time off. It's unusual. Are you trying to get her in trouble? Not at all. She totally deserves time off for her honeymoon. And then I guess for her maternity leave after that. Teacher, teacher, Pam hasn't been in class this week. Backstabbing a pregnant woman. No, I'm saying conversation. <laughs> We can talk about anything. Meredith, I saw your son's tag on the bridge. Wow, he's so great with a spray can. Look, you're never going to be Pam. We're always going to like her more. Deal with it. 
Listen, it's probably best if people don't ask about other people's vacation days. Oh, gosh, is this because of what I said to Stanley and Meredith about Pam? I know you've had your differences. No, we haven't. No, she barely talks to me. Aaron! <laughs> so we're clear? Yeah. For some reason, everyone seems to think that I have a beef with Pam, which couldn't be further from the truth. I've never had a beef with anyone. I've liked every single person I've ever met. Why are you cleaning Pam's painting? Because friends clean each other's stuff. Are we friends? I hope so. Will you clean my car? No. No, no. After I buy a car. So there's the moment of discovery that the painting has been ruined. And there's some interesting stuff, a lot of stuff going on in there, Kevin. We get the the Toby and his sort of weird jealousy defending Pam kind of thing. You're uh-huh. like, I know you've had your problems in the past. Like, where did that come from? He's like, he's like no, we're not. It's like, hey, <laughs> you know, I hope this is over with. You know, it's his little thing. And he stands up for it, tries to defend Pam there. And, and yeah, you talked about that before, the stuff with Meredith, uh, you know, we'll always like her more than you, even though they've always treated her really crappily anyway. Yeah. Somehow they like her still more than, than Aaron. I don't know. It's just she She's just really a nice, kind of likable, sort of normal-seeming person. Uh, with the office getting more and more ridiculous and turning more and more into caricatures, it's kind of interesting to see this new character who's a little more sort of down-to-earth, I guess. Exactly. And we also got a sort of the typical Creed moment here that this episode kind of lacked as well. The perfect <laughs> one little line, then that's it. So, And again, another someone who's who's backing Pam as well. <laughs> all right. Well, that just leaves Aaron uh, thinking that, she, you know, all this talk about Pam and how she's got it in for Pam. And she has that line in there about having a beef uh, with Pam. And actually, you know, uh, during my research, Kevin, that's actually a word that's on the mobster dictionary, the beef you know, to have a fight with someone. So, again, maybe that was intentional or not. I don't know, but uh, it fit in there really well. Um, And, again, where did that come from? I don't know why anyone thinks that she doesn't like Pam. But, uh, you know, she's desperate. She feels like she's screwed up, that everyone hates her, and now she's destroyed the beloved painting. And uh, she has to go turn to her friend, Kelly, for a little bit of help. But uh, it doesn't quite work out the way that she thinks. Thank you for doing this. You are a lifesaver. Of course. But you owe me. Anything. I want your necklace. Oh. Um, this has instructions for when I have seizures. This is what friends do. Ta-da! Oh, no. What do you mean? It's better than what Pam did. It's not supposed to be better than what Pam did. You added a rainbow in the sun. Yes, Erin, I added a beautiful rainbow to this horrible painting. You know what? Sorry for trying to help you out, okay? No, you entered into this. Hello? Pam, it's Erin. How's your honeymoon? I wrecked your painting. I was just trying to clean it. I never meant to hurt you, and I'm so sorry. I am so, so, so... Erin. Uh-huh? I will be angry that you ruined a painting of mine when I get back. In the meantime, please do not call me, and please tell everyone else to do the same. Okay. You are so awesome. I would love to take you out to lunch when you get back and maybe pick your brain about the job. Uh-huh. Great. It's a date. So, <laughs> wah, wah, Pam, you just, uh, I don't know. I just felt kind of bad there for poor Aaron. But but still, um, 
and there we go. I mean, she just gets crapped on by Kelly, steals her seizure necklace, <laughs> and uh, she tries to own up to it, and then pretty much gets gets uh, shot down. Well, I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to the uh, Aaron very special episode of The Office where Aaron has the seizure. I'm looking forward to that <laughs> episode. Oh, I'm sure, sure that you are, Kevin. And if you would like to help support That's What She Said, the podcast here, there's a couple ways you can do that. One of those ways is to go to our website at TWSSpodcast.com and order The Office Season 5 or actually anything that you little heart desires through the Amazon link. We will get a little bit of a kickback there. So if you're going to buy, hey, you're going to buy a big screen TV or a laptop or some big giant impulse item, hey, think of us and kick us back a few percentage points on those deals. You can also go and sign up for a free two-week trial of Netflix through the site at netflix.com slash TWSS. Of course, you've been talking about this Many times, Kevin, We uh, since we recorded last week, I still have that same Life on Mars disc sitting here. I have not yet watched it, so it's two weeks now. Still have the same disc. But uh, if you're a better viewer than myself, you can get that you know disc mailed to you. Uh, postage included both ways. Plans start at $4.95 per month. Over 100,000 titles to choose from, including classics, new releases, and TV stuff. Keep them as long as you want. Of course, it's the whole big deal. Shipping in about one business day. And the big bonus, of course, for people like me who are a little lazier and don't get out or watch things that they order, a lot of times you can use the instant watch stuff either on your laptop or PC or your Xbox or Netflix-enabled Blu-ray players um, to watch a whole bunch of different stuff, a lot of different TV shows, a lot of movies, uh, Big Lebowski just got added. A lot of comedy, kind of classic things that you, uh, you know, if you just want to sit around if you're at work. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Kevin, I know that both you and I are big fans of uh, The Big Bang Theory, and our dear friend Raj this week told us how wonderful that was to to pass his empty days with by watching his Netflix films. So, <laughs> boring job. Uh, need to fill those times, those hours. Perfect, perfect solution. Well, man, I told you last week I was waiting to see the proposal. Oscar Nunez's big cinematic achievement this summer, and the movie was a big hit, and he had a very memorable part. Boy, I got to tell you, my eyes are still burning from the sight of him <laughs> in a G-string. You know, I, I really, it, I, it's a tough call now. What what movie I'd rather see less again? Oscar Nunez in the G-string or Melora Hardin's You. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it's definitely something that every office watcher should see. I don't recommend you spend a lot of money on the DVDs, so Netflix is a perfect service to catch up on these movies that you didn't want to pay for in the theater. The Proposal is not a great movie, but uh, you might want to check it out for Oscar in his <laughs> underpants. Yeah, it's very, very hot, I have to say. All right. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fast Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? Yeah. Oh, the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why I didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, just uh, before we get started with the news, I'm not sure when this is going to hit, and this might be 
belated or or not at the time it comes out, but a big happy birthday to John Krasinski, who will be celebrating the big 3-0 this upcoming Tuesday, coming on October 20th. That uh, little weasel is kind of, kind of sad to me to think that guy's eight years younger than I am, but uh, alas, what are you going to do? <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of a big comic nerd, and I put this in here. I mean, this is not really super office related anymore, although, of course, tangentially, I guess, with uh, Rashida Jones being involved. But uh, Universal and Imagine to make Frenemy, and this comes from Variety. It says Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment have acquired the screen rights to Frenemy of the State, a graphic novel miniseries created by actress Rashida Jones, who will write the script with Will McCormick. According to Jones, the comic movie revolves around a young wealthy heiress who, quote, has lived a life of privilege, but her obsession with spying on exes gets her into trouble, and she is recruited to be a spy in exchange for not going to prison. There's a comic element to it. This girl who is so conscious of social standing and wearing the right shoes, suddenly becoming responsible for these dangerous, life-threatening missions. So kind of interesting. It took me by surprise. I mean, I have a pedigree of being a comic nerd, and I had not any clue that this was being produced. So kind of interesting. Uh, we see her every week now, of course, on Parks and Rec, where uh, you know I actually like that character on that show much more than I ever liked Karen Filippelli, which is kind of strange. I, I agree. I think she's got a good character, and this is an interesting-sounding project, so we'll see what happens. Well, we talked in past about Steve Carell starring in a new movie called Dinner for Schmucks, and filming has started for that movie. That co-stars Paul Rudd, and since The Office is now on hiatus. And you can check out some photos of Steve Carell's antisocial haircut and bumbling persona now on the fratpack.com website. That's, of course, my blog. But uh, if you've seen those pictures, uh, definitely Carell going for the really nerdy, antisocial guy um you know so i think hopefully this is a kind of a different bumbling character than we've seen from Carell in the past what steven steve Carell playing an awkward bumbling buffoon i i no one's gonna buy that kevin yeah all right well um subtle sexuality webisodes uh are coming soon apparently photos are leaking from this next series of office webisodes uh, they will focus on Kelly and Aaron and their girl group that's called Subtle Sexuality. Uh, along with help from Andy and Ryan, they shoot a music video for their single, Male Prima Donna. Uh, the series is to debut on October 29th, and I guess you can check out officetally.com for those photos. Let's just say that uh, Jenna Fisher's got to run for her money when it comes to Hottie in the Office. Uh, <laughs> What is it? Shape Magazine cover came out, but uh, Aaron in tight gold spandex, looking pretty nice. <laughs> How about some Office Entertainment? Yes, that's right. At Entertainment.com, they have a collection of Office sound bites and quotes. According to the proprietors, we have tons of sound bites, and it is really easy to add new or missing sound bites to the collection. All the sound clips are embeddable, so you can easily share them on your site or blog. So if you're looking for good office clips, that might be a place to check it out. All right, interesting. I just ordered this last week. I got my, I finally ordered it, Kevin. I got my Blu-ray uh, copy of season five, and one of the little extra Blu-ray things on there is a soundboard thing. So I was kind of playing uh. around with that, but this will be much more convenient for those again boring, boring days in the office. Well, Kevin, you know I'm from Wisconsin, and uh, 
you know, we're generally easygoing, nice people around these parts, but uh, not one prisoner in the local Sheboygan County Jail. Um, a criminal complaint was filed this past Monday and said one Sheboygan County Jail inmate wanted to watch something else so much that she attacked another inmate. Uh, good old Shakoya S. Crawley, jailed a month ago for allegedly setting fire to a house, is now charged with felony battery by prisoner as well. Uh, here's the scoop. Two inmates were watching The Office, the Niagara wedding episode, when Crawley, 18, of Oshkosh, approached them and said she wanted to watch something else. When the inmates refused to hand over the remote, Crawley pulled the hair of one 33-year-old woman and struck her in the face. She then got a cup of water and dumped it over the woman after shoving her in the back. So there you go. Crawley, sick of all the jam nonsense, didn't want to have anything to do with that wedding. See, I think she was just misunderstood. She was trying to recreate the wedding scene at the Niagara Falls by dumping the water. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> next. Well, if you can't get enough of our brilliant insights, you can follow Matt and me on Twitter, twitter.com slash summermatt and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman. Use our personal accounts, but uh, go ahead and follow us anyway if you're so inclined. And if you want the dedicated That's What She Said feed, you can go to twitter.com slash podcast. Yeah, and don't forget, you can go to NBC.com slash The Office, and they have a collection of all the office people that have Twitter accounts. You can check it out there. Um, just as far as the cast blog thing goes, Dwight has another diabolical blog posting up there explaining why he has toned down the anti-gym work recently. We kind of commented on that the other day, uh, so that will be a good explanation. Um the next new episode, then, is coming up on the 22nd of October, entitled The Lover. Kevin, and the way that this reads, I have a really bad feeling about how this is going to play out. We talked, of course, in Niagara about Michael and Pam's mom. Well, here is where it all hits the fan. Michael shocks Jim and Pam when he reveals the identity of his new woman that he's been dating after they return from their honeymoon. Uh, Dwight apologizes to Jim for years of torment with a strange peace offering. So, I, I, just, man, I, I don't, I just don't. This whole plot twist with Pam's mom, just I, it feels just like you're barreling down a road out of control, and it could just go over the side at any moment. So I'm hoping that they can pull this out, but, uh, eh. Well, if you're looking for Pam to become the mellow, lovely nice Pam. I don't think that this is the path to uh, that Pam. I think she's no. going to be quite upset, as well she should. And quite and of course this, Yes, and, and this, of course, this uh, Rain Wilson-Dwight plot line, uh, if you read the Dwight Diabolical blog, it sounds like he's just laying low until Jim is in a weak, plate, weak place where he's unsuspecting, and then Dwight will make his move. So this is, <laughs> this is softening Jim up for uh, Dwight's future moves against him. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, I need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. 
All right, some feedback on episode 78 of That's What She Said. Marie said, Even though I often disagree with Matt's views on the show, I totally agree about the barf o rama cold open. That was way too much. I was disgusted not only by the over-the-top barfing, but also by Pam's condescending speech. Why was I supposed to root for her after that? I haven't been given much opportunity to like her over the past few seasons. And, again, I'm I'm right with you on there. I, I mm-hmm. sort of felt a little bit of love for her last year during the Michael Scott plotline, uh, the Paper Company plotline. But, um, yeah, so far this year she's been pretty much of a nag, not very likable. I talked last week about the fact that Pam's mom looked a little bit like Holly to me. Well, Phil wrote in, Pam's mom reminded me of Jan more than Holly. Would like to see more of Andy and Aaron together. He's a bit of jerk at times, but nothing to the degree of Ryan, Dwight, or Angela. Uh, true, I guess, although I'm not sure if... I don't know if... I don't, I, I'm kind of happy without there being all these couples in the office anymore. Yep, me too. So let's see how that plays out, although he is, I suppose, sort of the next nicest guy. <laughs> that maybe could deserve a little loving. Joe A. sent this in via email. He said, I work in an office myself, and I see a lot of parallels of what's happening this season to my own life. Pam's bitchiness is at the top of the list. We have a pregnant woman in the office, and there's rarely a day that goes by where some demand isn't stated or a reminder given that she's pregnant. I don't want to defend Pam for, for her behavior, but she seems realistically portrayed as a first-time mother. And... You know, I agree. I'm not saying that I don't think it's maybe even realistic. It's just not really all that pleasant to sit through. Well, I think if she's supposed to be the sympathetic character, as much as I am not taking the negative view of those actions like you are and other people are, the fact that so many people are taking that view, you know, they need to shore that up and paint her in a more sympathetic light, I think. Yeah, I don't know if they know how anymore. Well, she was always painted in a very sympathetic light when people were dumping on her during season one and season two and all that. So they need to get back on that in any case. Well, I'll I'll see if they can. I don't know. We'll we'll hope. All right, let's get some feedback on Mafia. A Fair tweeted to us, Pretty weak episode. Pam and Jim are jerks. When Oscar first called them, I thought Jim and especially Pam were being excessively rude. Not so much later on, but still. The first deleted scene was better than most of the episode. The A plot in Mafia should have been a B plot in a stronger episode. Funny concept, but it deserved five minutes instead of 18. Well, see, there's somebody else that's kind of agreeing with me about their their conversation on the telephone. And I agree, at least Indeed. it did get ridiculous. And Michael's, you know, basically fake health thing was quite a big, <laughs> big annoying deal, but still. All right, uh, my friend Ian... Levenstein wrote in with this and said, Looks like they may have switched out the Aaron plotline in favor of the Kevin plotline. Uh, as deleted scene one is the scene in question. Honest opinion, they should have kept Aaron in, as the Kevin Jim stuff seemed, well, kind of dumb. As previously stated, Kevin is starting to act like an actual retarded man using an office to farts. I mean, come on. <laughs> Wise advice there from Ian. Okay, Luke A. wrote... Aside from Kevin accidentally canceling Jim's credit card and some other light chuckles, worst episode of the season so far. I noticed that pre- and post-one-hour episodes tend to be a bit weak. Here's hoping things pick up in the next few weeks. So that's the same thing you mentioned. Yeah, and that's, that is usually how it works out, although, like I said, I'm, I'm really worried about this whole Pam's mom thing. If they don't play it right, it just it, it, I, I have a feeling that it could just go horribly, horribly wrong. So I'm, I'm going to hope for the best there. Uh, David Bishop wrote in and said, I guess I'm joining the minority, 
because I liked this episode. I liked the interaction between Dwight and Andy in the restaurant. Checking for a gun in the restroom was a nice Godfather reference. And I liked the whole Roach Motel bit. Watching Andy squirm as he's asked to help a woman with her car was also fun to watch. And honestly, based on the way the insurance salesman was acting, I can't say I wouldn't suspect Mafia involvement if somebody planted the seed in my head. Not a major plot-moving episode, but a fun Thursday night for me. I also adored the Aaron deleted scenes, and he says 7 out of 10. All right, Rob S. wrote, I like the cold open. It reminded me of season two, Ryan, calling Michael out. We need more of this. I agree, Rob. I did enjoy the word muck duck, and seeing the guy from Dumb and Dumber was a nice surprise. I'm glad there were no cameras with Jim and Pam. I think the show would have worked without them for an entire episode. While I did laugh at the many phone calls to them, they weren't mandatory. Speaking of the honeymoon, Michael's wedding gift should have been tickets to Sandals, Jamaica. And yes, Toby has checked out. You know, I gotta—I forgot to say this earlier when we were playing that clip, but what is the deal with it? Why has Toby checked out? I don't understand that. I mean, what's going on? So I know why Toby has checked out. Because okay. what happened in June? Pam got pregnant. So Toby's... That was the last shot for Toby to ever have a chance with Pam. Okay, well, that might be an interesting theory, I guess. That could be. Could be the case. Because um, I was wondering about that. I'm like, really, well, why Why is he checked out? I mean, if he was moving or quitting or something, I could I can understand that. But I, I'll have to go with you on that one. All right, well, uh, Kevin, you picked this as the comment of the week. This is from Kathy. And she says, as ridiculous as it was, I thought the episode was pretty darn funny and packed full of terrific throwaway lines. That's why they call it Murder, Not Muck Duck. i, I got to say, I'm not as in love with that line as these other two people apparently are. Um, the biggest disappointment was Jim and Pam. Uh, are you ready with the, the drums? Yes, I am. It felt like they were just phoning in their performances. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Well <Kathy>. done. <laughs> All right, and that's going to about do it for us this week. Uh, Join us in a week or so for episode number 80, The Lover. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to TWSSpodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at TWSSpodcast.com. If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office-related forums. Every little bit helps. Music for this episode is provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head on over to nbc.com slash the office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, episode recaps, cast blogs, and more. And for my consigliere, Kevin Crossman, I am Matt Summer, and we are out of here. <laughs> I was going to say, this is about the most fun we've had in a long time on the podcast. You they should so? have more Mafia episodes, <laughs> ironically. Uh, perhaps, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> I think we had more fun than the actual episode maybe warranted, but still. 